Welcome to episode number 10 of the Wisdom Addicts podcast, a podcast where we help you travel into a new mindset through life experiences, books, and wisdom passed on by the great that have done great. And in this episode, which is crazy to see we're getting to episode 10, we have a very young, relentless, and admirable guest. Her name is Soray Laura. Soray is a 23-year-old business student, entrepreneur, and human trafficking advocate from Texas, United States. Soray is the founder of Unlimited Jewelry. Unlimited Jewelry is a fashion company for customers that want to be part of a movement to empower human trafficking survivors. Yes, today we are going to be talking about a very profound topic and about a young woman who has faced adversity, who has taken matters into her own hands. And today, I am very glad to welcome you, Saray. Thank you very much um, for accepting our invitation to being a guest of the Wisdom Addicts podcast. How are you doing today? How was Thanksgiving break? Did you eat a lot of turkey, a lot of beer, a lot of um, them? What's the mashed potatoes and gravy. Oh, I miss all those things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. And I had a great Thanksgiving. We ate a lot of turkey and um, and pumpkin pie. So I had a great Thanksgiving with friends and family. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, So yeah, I'm ready for this conversation. I'm really excited about this. Of course, of course. So to start off, Saray, you are about to graduate college, which graduating college is is a deed we have to applaud because going through four years of school and you going through college in one of the most unique times in the prior and next hundred years, next decade of the existence of human being, it's something that you know, I'm sure you have gone through a lot. You've had to adapt from, from physical classes to online classes. And I know you are going to be the first person in your family to graduate from college, yes. which being a first-generation college graduate is really something that takes a lot because you're breaking generational barriers. You're going against, against the current. And I would like to start by asking you what has been your journey to get to college and then your motivation? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I never really knew exactly where I wanted to be uh, growing up. I always changed my mind. So, you know, I never really thought like college was something for me. Um, it wasn't until my senior year in high school when I started, you know, hearing all of the hype of I'm going to this university, I'm going to Rush and this sorority and all of my friends getting all excited. I was like, you know what, like, let me just do it. Let me apply to all these colleges and see what happens. And I ended up getting accepted to all of them. And um, I was really excited. You know what, like, this is going to be something like I'm going to go to college. You know, my parents never graduated. My siblings never graduated either. Um, I'm gonna do it and um, so I was gonna go to LSU Um, at the time I lived in southern Louisiana so LSU was the holy grail and um, so I was really excited but at that time the oil field industry was not doing the greatest Um, 
my family was a part of the offshore oil oil build. And at the time, onshore was, you know, doing amazing, but offshore was not. So um, I had that conversation with my parents. They sat me down and said, you know, like it doesn't look like this is a great time for us to send you to college. Let's wait a year, let's see what happens. And, um, you know, like it's out of our hands, you know. And so I was kind of upset with it just because I was already getting excited about it. I was looking into dorms, I was about to go to orientation, but it was realistic. Like my parents weren't able to send me to college at that moment and that was fine. Um, it wasn't until the end of that summer when it really hit me when my friends were leaving to the dorms and rushing that I kind of felt left out and I felt, you know, sad for myself, you know, that pity party, like, oh, like, why can't I go? And um, that was really short-lived because um, my mom, she was in real estate, and I attended one of her, um, I attended one of her open houses, and she presented the idea, it was like, hey, like, eventually when you go to college, you know, you can get your real estate license and maybe sell a house or two and that will make you, you know, some good money. And my mind automatically went, no, I don't want to get my license so I can sell houses while I'm in college. Why can't I just get my license now so I can pay for college and I can go as soon as possible? You know, like that was my outlet. Like I was going to get my real estate license so I can go to college. That was the goal you know she planted that seed of getting my license and I ran with it I was like this is my opportunity I'm not gonna let any external factors get in the way of my goal because my personal goal was to go to college and graduate so that's what I did at age 18 I got my real estate license and I sold houses and I was able to go to my local community college and pay for my books and tuition all in cash. And I did that ever since. And um, that really just fueled my entrepreneurship mindset because I realized that I was able to make money based off the fruit of my labor. You know, like whatever I put into my work, I got to see those results. I wasn't defined by an hourly wage that, you know, I was limited to certain hours a week. You know, like if I put in the work, I was able to make a really good commission check. And I was never, there was no stopping me then, you know, like that just started everything. I truly applaud your journey because when I went to, to college, I saw a lot of people that really did not understand the value of it just because either their parents paid for it or they got this, this loan that they had no idea how much it was going to backlash them in the future when they graduated with inhumane mm -hmm. interest rates. Mm -hmm. But hearing your journey, I think it's really admirable and I really like to hear your stories because you are 
one of the few that really took matters into their own hands and understood that college is not a luxury. College is just an asset. It's just a time of your life where you get into an ecosystem to learn, to grow, to expand your network. And just like it happened with you to really define what's the path that you want to take in life because happened with me when I went to college. Yeah, I knew I wanted to, to start businesses and I really liked the idea of it, but it wasn't until I was in there that I understood what being a businessman is, what it takes and the things I was going to need to have to really succeed. And looking at the journey that you had to take, what you're doing with with your business and all the jobs that, that you perform on campus, off campus, how you've expanded your network. What did real estate teach you to shape you as the businesswoman you are today and the businesswoman you aspire to be? Because I think that you made a very good point on making money based on the fruit of your labor, not on clocking in and clocking out. And I mm -hmm. think when you find out the true value of that, your perspective just changes and you understand the true value of your time, which is, which is sad because a lot of people go to college and they don't understand and they just invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in their education and they're just going out there and apply for jobs instead of taking all that knowledge and skills they just learned to maybe start something of their own to fulfill their passion project, to collaborate with a family member and work in their business. But what has, what has real estate taught you, um, Saray, in, in these past years since, since you started? Well, real estate really taught me on the importance of how to present yourself, especially as a woman here in business. Um, I remember when I first got my real estate license, um, I met this broker. Her name was Betty Sons, and she had her brokerage in Houma, Louisiana, and New Orleans. And she was the president of the Board of Realtors, very respectful woman, very powerful. And she needed somebody to list her investment properties. And so she turned to me and my mom, because my mom was a realtor as well. And we were like a little tag team um, at some listings. But um, when I met her, I shook her hand and that was that. I introduced myself and I went on. And later on that day, she pulled aside my mom and was like, you know, like, Saray has so much potential but she needs to learn how to have a firm handshake and to make eye contact when she shakes somebody's hand. Because in order to be respected and taken serious in business, especially as a woman, you need to have that firm handshake and that eye contact so that person knows that you mean business. And later when my mom told me that she had that conversation with Betty, I was embarrassed. I was like, oh my gosh, I have this respectable woman thinking that I have a pathetic handshake. I don't make eye contact. I, like, oh my God, like what else does she think of me? But as I was thinking more on it, I was like, you know, like she's right. Like I need to work on my handshake. I want people to take, take me serious. 
And to this day, every time I shake somebody's hand, I make sure that it's firm. I make eye contact. I say my name very clear. I am here. I am present. And I mean business. So that's something that I learned as well as my broker. Um, Debbie Chauvin was my broker and she took me under her wing and showed me because she was very respectful as well in the community, very successful, but very compassionate. She took care of her, um, her agents and me being so young, she took me under her wing and showed me the ropes and however she could help me. Um, you know, she was there. And because I was starting out, I was like, eager like how can I get some money like coming in so when she had you know open houses that needed to be attended to or she overbooked herself and needed someone to show her client a listing like she asked me hey like I'll pay you $15 if you go show my client this house I was like yes I'm there you don't have to tell me twice like I was a hustler I was I would say yes to every opportunity and um just having like these mentors, these female mentors in real estate just showed me that I was able to, you know, I can be like them, you know, like, yes, I'm a minority. And in that community that I was in, like, I was the minority by my race and by my age, but that didn't define me. Like, if I wanted to be successful, I can be successful. And I had these incredible women to mirror off of and shadow and learn and just take just be like a sponge off of their wisdom like whatever they told me I take in consideration um and also like know that I don't know everything you know every day you learn something new and it'd be very ignorant of me to think that I know everything so just wanting to learn just be open to learning you know and humble yourself that it's okay that you don't know everything you know um, that as well as having more confidence in myself. Um, my first client, I remember driving 20 minutes away to open this property. It was a gated property and I was having trouble opening the locks. I was getting all frazzled. This is my first client. Um, and I'm out of town, like, oh my gosh. And then here comes my clients showing up and I'm like, oh no, like they're going to see me you know, not able to get into the property. And so finally I was able to get in the property and I opened all the lights, showed them each room, gave them the property disclosures. And I tried to act really cool, but I wasn't prepared for that showing. I didn't know my stuff. I was very timid when I talked. I had like, I was trembling, but I tried to act cool. And they saw right through that. And um, I remember the husband was like, so like, how long have you been in real estate? I was like, uh, I lied. I was like, I was six months. That was my first client. And that was my first day on the job. So I lied. Um, and he was like, okay, like six months. And then after that, I send them listings and of properties that they might be interested in. And eventually I stopped hearing from them. And I was like, okay, like, what's up with this? I reached out and said, hey, like, I don't know if you're not interested in a property or if you're working with a different agent, but please let me know so I'm not wasting your time or my time. And they 
told me, hey, I'm sorry, but me and my husband think that it's best if we go to a more seasoned realtor. Um, thank you for everything. We got all your listings. Um, sorry. I was like, wow. So I was butthurt. You know, I had my first client just left me for a more quote unquote seasoned realtor. But um, I had kind of like a breakthrough after that conversation. I was like, you know what? Like, okay, I took the same state and national exam. I'm part of the same board of realtors. I take the same education, continuing education classes. I have a license, qualified to sell you a house and show property. All that other realtors have is maybe, you know, years of experience, but I'm just as qualified. So like, I need to get it together and have more confidence in myself. Like I know my stuff. I just don't have years of experience. So um, from then, like I changed my mindset. I was like, you know what? I got this. Let's do this. And went in more positive, more determined. And I landed some really good deals and met some amazing clients. Um, I was top sales um, person. Uh, with my brokerage, Rookie of the Year, which was a huge accomplishment for me. Um, but yeah, like I learned to have more confidence in myself and I realized my strengths and my weaknesses in that moment. My weakness was I didn't have years of experience. So I knew I needed to be more prepared for every showing so I can outperform and over deliver. And that's what I did. And I have to say I did pretty good for an 18, 19 year old, you know, girl. Indeed, you, you were and are a minority in terms of race and age. When I remember when I interviewed Cam, one of our first interviews, he also worked as a realtor and the average real, realtor is like over the age of 40 and so just like you're in an industry where you're always going to be the black duck, you're going to be the, the different one, you're going to be the one that is frowned upon based on her age, not mm -hmm. based on her ability. And I, I really think that real estate is one of the best careers you can, you can develop and learn just because there's the, the typical sale a car salesman and then there's the salesperson there is the complete human being that knows how to present present themselves give a firm handshake give eye contact be humble be curious be compassionate like all these attributes that when you're selling an article that is worth more than a hundred thousand dollars and is really life-changing purchase you really have to know how to sell yourself. You really have to know how to, how to connect with other people. And I'm glad that you share these insights of how real estate taught you things that you are applying in your day-to-day. -day. And I'm sure that you're always gonna fall behind or not fall behind, but use real estate as that second, third, fourth, or fifth source of income because you know, you are constantly getting educated. You are constantly on top of trends and you have developed and you will keep developing 
through your real estate endeavors and your entrepreneurial journey, all these attributes that you just mentioned. So I really liked how <laughs> you had to really be called a not seasoned realtor for you to take it into your own hands and be like, you know, if this is what they're going to say, I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to become relentless. And mm -hmm. I would like to ask you, Saray, as a woman in business, we know that still women have a disadvantage in business because of the perception people have, not in terms of being prepared or in terms of humane abilities, but there's still many wrong things, to say the least, with our professional business market where women have to hit hard and hit twice to make a stance and you being so young uh, working in in a movement like the human trafficking you know movement and knowing that going in the road that you're going you're going to have to be relentless and I want to ask you what is your definition of being relentless based on on your experiences like the ones you've just shared Well, I would say consistency, being consistent um, with your work and with your business. Um, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, 30 minutes, two hours of your day that goes towards your business being or your work, whatever you do, but just being consistent because all those small little um, aptitudes like they all add up. It's a small, it's a snowball effect. So it's like you um, working out at the gym. Okay. You go to the gym once, twice. Okay. I don't see any results after a week. Nothing really. Okay. I give up. But if you keep on putting in the work, going to the gym every single day, you are eventually going to see results. And you may look in one day at the mirror and be like, oh my gosh, I look really good today. And you see all your hard work pays off. And I have a, I strongly believe in that to be resentless, you have to be consistent and determined and know exactly why you're doing what you're doing. You know, like being determined, you need to know what is it that you want to do, how to get there, And let's be consistent. Let's be consistent in all of our work. Um, you have to be willing to take sacrifices. Um, if you're wanting to start your own business, you're going to have to sacrifice not going out partying as much or at all, or going, not going to brunch or spending less time with your friends or whatever it may be, um, staying up late to contribute to your business not binge watching your that new netflix show like having sacrifices as little or as big as they are there has to be sacrifices if you're going to be resentless and not being scared of failing um and i mean failure it's a beautiful thing really because you fail but you tried something new that's why you fail And you can learn from your failures. But if you make that, if you make that failure multiple times, well, that's a choice. It's a choice. It's not a mistake. But I've been resentless. It's just somebody that knows what they want in life and will do anything in their power to accomplish 
that goal or that dream, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I feel like the main word would be consistent. And for me, with my business, I, I build on it every single day. Even when I talk to my mentor, I'm like, I don't feel like I'm doing that much. Like, I don't see that much results. And he's like, you're doing a lot of work because there's, you have to build up your brand and have that credibility, especially for what the industry that I'm bringing awareness about, like you have that credibility and it take it doesn't happen overnight. It's, you have to work on it. So for me, resentless is being determined not being scared to fail, not willing to give up, and being consistent in your work. Yes, consistency is way easier said than done. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, I've been in this game for five years, which I am still a rookie, but I, I have really internalized being consistent because part of being relentless is being so sure of your values, of your vision, but also most importantly, your work ethic. Because mm -hmm. I remember when I was starting, I would have a glimpse of success, being invited to an interview, having a compliment by someone you admire, having a client a new client like having all these small glimpses but really what you have to understand down down the road is that consistency is king like you have to find ways of putting or finding solid habits that make you wake up early that make you work on your business that make you be driven not by motivation because there's days we have zero more motivation but we're mm -hmm. driven by purpose mm -hmm. and that purpose is what really makes us get up and do what we have to do even even when the the path it's still not as clear as we want to be we look forward and we don't really see many things we have to start we have to keep walking because as we walk that's how we create a road that we can eventually walk smoothly and knowing that every step is the right step. But at the beginning and more where you're still at, where you still haven't graduated college, you're still growing your business, you're still growing as, as a person in terms of, of your, your personal and self-education. And yeah, I think you, you, you emphasized in a very important word, which is consistency. And talking a little bit more, Saray, about education, how you have learned about real estate, you have learned many different things about um, your business, about obviously during classes, what you take. But this is a question that we make a lot to our, our guests, which is the difference between self-education and formal education. And what would be your point of view on, on them together as one and separate? Mm -hmm. Well, I highly um, respect the formal education just because it took me a lot of hard work to go to college and I, <laughs> I don't take that um, for advantage, but um, I really feel like self-education, I learned way more um, in a very short amount of time than I did in my classes in college. 
Um, I am a business major, so I've been taking business classes and yeah, they're all in theory and, you know, memorize definitions and key concepts and pass a test, pass the class. Okay, I may take away like a couple of things that I learned from that class, but it wasn't until I started my business, because I started my business while I'm in college, um, that because I was nominated for a pitch competition for my business unlimited. And I had to create a, everything was, okay, let's start from the very beginning. So for my business, I had this whole idea in my head for, I would say like a year and never told anybody about it. It just stayed in my head until somebody asked me about it. Like, are you interested in entrepreneurship? Like, what would it be if you started a business? And I told her what I thought and she was like, oh, wow, like this could be something. Um, and so my professor, he, Dr. Ryan Packham, he overheard and was like, hey, Saray, like this is something like something really good. You should really pursue this. And by the way, there's a pitch competition that happens annually through Blackstone and Techstars. Uh, I think you should do this. Like, would you be interested? And this was in January of this year. And I remember for New Year's, I told myself that I was gonna say yes to any opportunities that came my way. This year was gonna be the yes year. Um, I was gonna get out of my comfort zone. So I read this email and I was like, okay, yeah, let's do this pitch competition. And he's like, all right, cool. Like the deadline is in a week. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, like, how am I gonna do this? I don't even have a name. I don't have a logo. I don't have anything on paper. Everything's in my head. So I had to do just that. I had to come up with a name, a Logan, I mean, a, a logo, a slogan, a pitch deck. I had to do like expenses and what I would use the funding of $25,000 and all of these like, all the details of everything because they would ask questions about the business and you have to be able to answer them. So within a week, I did all that and I made prototypes of jewelry um, and I, I submitted it and I was like, okay, cool. I submitted it, I am good with that. I learned so much in this process on how to like form a business and how to make a logo and all the little details. I was very happy with myself by just doing just that. Um, and then later on, I, you know, become the semi-finalist of it. But that right there is self-education. Like, I didn't have a class prior to that that taught me how to do a pitch deck and how to, you know, what investors are interested in knowing about a business and all these technical things, I had no idea. My business classes didn't teach me that. And I had to learn myself. And when I talked to my professor slash mentor, he was like, you know, like you probably learned way more than you probably learned a lot more within this two months in this competition than you did in the university and I was like you're not lying like I learned so much and so many connections and just 
how what how investors what questions they ask and it was just a lot and it goes back to like real estate like real estate was self-education too like yeah I had you know exams and continuing education that I had to do which is a form of formal education but me going out in the field and interacting with people and conducting business that's self-education you that's only something that you learn you know firsthand yourself out doing the job as well as unlimited like I would say 90% of unlimited was self-education and 10% is something that I learned you know in college um but together self-education and um formal education I would have to say because I started my business in college my um my classes kind of make more sense now a little bit more like I am more of a sponge like okay I'm taking a business law class what can I grasp out of this class that I can apply to unlimited or a marketing class like okay, like these techniques would really benefit unlimited. So I take notes. So I am really like appreciating more of the formal education now that I'm starting my business, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I would say that. And also it's funny because now that I'm in the higher up classes, we have to make business models and I just use unlimited as my business models. So it's, I don't know, it just goes hand in hand with everything. Um, but yeah, I would say formal education, I value, I appreciate because me personally, it took a lot of hard work and sacrifice for me to attend college. I know it's um, a privilege for some people, but for me, like I value that. And also I learned a lot of, I made a lot of connections while in college and met a lot of people that I probably wouldn't have met if I didn't attend, like with friends. I have a lot of friends that are entrepreneurial mindsets too and mentors um, and just opportunities like that pitch competition was through the university. That's something that probably wasn't been a possibility if I wasn't a student. And yeah, I would say formal education, there's a lot of value in it, not only in the classroom, but the connections that you make while taking those classes. And then self-education, I mean, there's, you can't beat that. I, you learn no, you so can't. much. You mm -hmm. definitely cannot beat it. And the feeding off what you said, once you open up your mind and adapt your mind to learning through self-education, that's when you can really grasp on formal education. Because same thing happened with me. I remember uh, after my or during my junior year when I started my first entrepreneurial idea, like every class I would take, if I could not find the connection between between the class and my business, I just wouldn't be interested. But mm -hmm. if it was accounting, human resources, marketing, entrepreneurship, 
like I always found a different interest. And while you were talking, I remember the first class that really sparked my interest in, my interest in entrepreneurship was um, it was like entrepreneurship, I don't know, 1012, you know, like those enumerations mm-hmm. that they use, but it was like the intro to entrepreneurship class. And the good thing about that class was that my teacher was an entrepreneur himself. He had mm-hmm. started different businesses. He had really embraced what being an entrepreneur is. So like the whole class, he really just every assignment. I remember we didn't even have final tests or like midterms. There was no test. It was all practical, journaling business ideas, Skype meetings with business owners. But the main thing that really sparked me to understand the importance of self-education was when he would make us read, like choose a business book mm-hmm. or like a biography and read it. But it wasn't just how he made you summarize it, but how he would make you engage in a conversation about it. Like, he wouldn't just ask you, hey, make a summary out of the book. He would say, like, I want you to find the three biggest challenges and the three biggest successes during his initial stages. So just look at how specific it was during his initial Mm -hmm. stages. And I remember I read... Um, Richard Branson's biography so you can just imagine how much I related to his journey before he obviously skyrocketed to being the the massive you know billionaire he is and how he is left and is still leaving a dent in the world but I really think that's what self-education does and the ambient and the situation that formal education puts puts you in because if you surround yourself with the right people if you know you have dr peckham suggest that you participate in these business pitches that's really when you can find the best of both worlds and so right now to dive into first we dove into the mastermind which is you behind unlimited now i would like to dive little bit more deep into what unlimited is and human trafficking and and basically everything behind it so i would like to ask you so what is human trafficking what is the misconception around human trafficking if you could give us some stats that you could have at hand about human trafficking because i think it's a it's a very broad topic in terms of what people don't know and what people know Yes. So human trafficking, there's two types. It's categorized into different categories. Um, There's labor, human trafficking, and then there's sex trafficking. Um, What I deal with is human sex trafficking in the Premium Basin, which is West Texas. Um, So human trafficking, I wasn't really aware of really the topic, you know, two years ago. Um, what, how I came across it was I was working at a boutique, a local boutique here, and she was wanting to convert her store into an ethical and sustainable fashion store, women's fashion store. And she wasn't really familiar with the brands that uh, were ethical and sustainably made. So I was in charge of that. I was, um, I always knew I wanted to be in the fashion fashion industry. 
So I took lead in that. I researched all these different brands. And while I was doing these research, I came across some give back companies and these give back companies were helping in human trafficking. And I thought that was very interesting. And so I read more into it and um, it, they mostly employed survivors overseas in, in developing countries. And um, so I was like, hmm, this is interesting. So I wanna see if maybe this is happening here in the United States. So I did research and come to find out it's very prevalent here in the United States and where I live in Texas. Um, Texas is the second most traffic state in the United States, California being number one. Um, Texas is on the border of Mexico. So they have the interstates, the border, um, and then the oil field and the premium basin where I currently live is the fourth largest hub of human trafficking, meaning it's the fourth largest area in the United States for human trafficking within the second most trafficked state. So it's a big deal here. Wow. And um, when I would talk to my friends and my family about it, they had no idea. They were like, it's happening here? Like, no way, that's crazy. And I did more research trying to understand this subject and I dove in because one, I was selling customers products that gave back, you know, like helped human trafficking at that store. So I wanted to be knowledgeable and give some customers some background knowledge of the brands. So I wanted to know my stuff, but I also wanted to know personally, like it was intriguing. Um, so. I dove in and um, the gift back companies that employed the survivors overseas, I was like, you know what, like that's just going along with the misconception that it only happens in developing countries and not here. Like, why don't, why don't I bring awareness here in the United States or better yet here in my home state of Texas that human trafficking is happening here. And I always knew I wanted to start my own you know, store. I love fashion, I love business. And I, I, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Like I am a big, big advocate of female empowerment. Um, I know people that, I know close friends and family that have um, experienced you know, violence towards women. So um, it's something that was very near and dear to my heart and to know that, you know, like, you know, if people, are, they know about domestic violence and sexual assault, like we know that happens, but not everybody knows that human trafficking happens. And human trafficking is on a different, different level. It's severe. It's women that are being sold day in and day night. Like there was a girl that was rescued, a little girl um, rescued in Texas and she was being trafficked in her house by her parents. And 
and they were saying that they needed help with rent and that's what she needed to do. So they turned her bedroom into a brothel and when the police went in there, they lost, because the girl kept tally marks on her wall of every male that visited her room. And the police lost count after 9,000 marks. So, and that was here. So. Whoa. Whoa. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's something that I can imagine anybody doing that to anybody. It's modern day slavery and it's happening here and no one's talking about it. So um, that's why I wanted to bring, that's why I started Unlimited. I wanted to bring awareness that modern day slavery is happening and it's happening right here in our doorstep, like in our neighborhood. And we don't know. Um, and I also wanted to empower the survivors through employment. Um, survivors, once they're rescued or they run away from their trafficker, um, they're most likely going to be, go back, be extorted again because they don't know anything different. It's hard for them. They don't have a place to go. They have no income. They're brainwashed. It's just they're branded. They have little to no education, um, work experience, you know, their self-esteem, their just their living condition. It's really hard for them to grasp their life back and re-enter society. So uh, with that, I want it to be a stepping stone for the survivors. So Unlimited will employ the survivors to um, handcraft the jewelry and help with the marketing, the operation part of the business to gain work experience on their resume so that they can end the cycle and reclaim their life and know that they're capable of great things. They can re-enter society and go further in their career, but at least they have that job experience to get their foot in the door. And that job experience starts with Unlimited. Um, I am right now working with a nonprofit. It's the only nonprofit here in the Premium Basin that helps human trafficking survivors um, up to five years, which is really unheard of. The closest nonprofit that does that here in Northern America is in Canada and Toronto. So we're very powerful of that. Um, but with that experience working with the nonprofit, I got to work with them, with the survivors and really just, I know, I, of course I, I did my research, kind of like the formal and the self-education segment we just had. Um, my research was the formal education. I had all the stats I knew like the situations and um, I talked to the FBI and tried to get some more intel of the situation like in the area. But me working in the nonprofit and working with the survivors, that's this, the self-education. Me learning about their personalities, what they went through, like their stories, what led them to that. And knowing that it's people that they loved and trusted that trafficked them, that their parents, their their husband, their friends, their boyfriend, um, foster care, just runaways, um, 
So just learning about the survivors and their needs and their struggles and how hard it is for them to re-enter society, it just really motivated me that this is something that needs to be done. We need Unlimited to help these survivors, to restore their dignity, know that they're capable of great things and that they're not limited to their past. Their opportunities are unlimited. And so um, that's where Unlimited was formed. And that's why I'm so passionate about it because it's empowering women and just ensuring them that they have so much potential because the survivors I work with, I have learned so much from them, each one of them, on how strong, resilient they are and how all of these things have happened to them, but they're still here smiling and eager to better themselves and try to make a better life for them and their, you know, their children as well. It's very inspiring and it's something that we, that I am proud to fight for. I, I, it's, once you have learned about all of this, you can't unlearn it. And once you have seen the survivors and you can't erase their faces out of your mind, it's, I have internalized this cause. I have internalized unlimited, it's part of me. And I feel like it's a need that our community needs. Um, we need to bring awareness and we need to restore our women. So that's unlimited. If this was formal education, you'd be given an A plus for your, <laughs> <laughs> for your speech and your essay. But as this is the real world, I just hope that whoever listens to your episode and listens to you talk understands that for you to really embody a cause, for you to really relate a cause, it's not just going one day, collaborating, volunteering, but it's really understanding the people behind the issue and not seeing the problem that they're facing, but how you can end that cycle, as you said, how you through Unlimited by employing them, by giving them skills, by, sorry, teaching them skills, by increasing their, or creating their professional brand, you're literally ending the cycle. Not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's crazy that you said that there's very few organizations that work with uh, survivors for more than five years is that what you said that there's yeah. only one in toronto mm -hmm. and where else mm -hmm. that's it here oh my. oh my god so you're you're literally saying that there's thousands of cases and there really are no organizations that take the the treatment and the the process of giving these survivors real life skills it's worrying and I'm sure when you understood that when you saw that with your own eyes not you just read it but you heard that story of the girl you just said and her family I think that's when you really understand that there's no going back 
And mm -hmm. it happened with me when I started my nonprofit. I understood the problem. I knew about the problem, but it wasn't until I met the people that were suffering the problem and the people that were directly affected by the problem. Because in my case, it's whenever I would meet a kid and I would meet the coach and I'd be like, okay, this coach didn't even graduate high school. This coach doesn't have real life skills. So this coach is teaching all the things that he knows and doesn't know to kids. So you're literally inciting the cycle to keep going. And this it's the cycle of poverty. It's the cycle of sexual abuse. It's the cycle of teenage pregnancy. It's a cycle of a lot of the bad things that can be stopped once you become present in the process. So I'm sure, Saray, that your motivations are very genuine. And I really like your approach because your approach is proactive. It's not, yeah, donate $10 to my cost and I'll send you a picture of, of the, the survivor. No, you're selling an article that is literally being done hands-on by survivors. So I think mm -hmm. that you're giving not only a voice, to the survivor but you're giving them a life so you're, you're giving them a chance to really leave all the things that they had to face behind and really decrease the chance of them going back because that's what happens a lot with the nonprofit world or at least the world of social entrepreneurship we give soccer balls we give food but we don't teach them the value of it. We don't teach them how to make it. We don't teach them how to generate income for them to pay for it. So that's why their entire life, they become dependent. And if they found a way of making money, which in, in this term was by, by selling their dignity. So obviously they're going to fall for that. So I really admire that not only you with your business, you are, finding a way to end that but you're aware that there that society needs unlimited you know mm -hmm. there is a divine purpose and with this sorry i would like to ask you so we already know the current approach now i would like to know what is the ideal ideal approach when you were doing that business pitch when you were preparing for it when you were creating the business plan what was the vision you wrote down what is what you envision as the business owner and a leader in the movement of human trafficking survivors? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So uh, my ideal vision is to utilize the partnerships with the nonprofits. Because um, the nonprofit that I'm working with right now, they have different phases that they have to complete before graduating. and on their third phase is when they're ready to get a job um, and live on their own. So with my business plan, I plan to utilize those partnerships. And when they're ready to work, they can work for Unlimited. And I wanted them to kind of like in an apprentice um, mentor structure where they come in and we teach them how to do the jewelry. And then um, once they have conquered, you know, 
the basics, they can move up. And when the new survive, the new employees come in, then they can teach the newcomers. So it's like they can identify with each other. Like, okay, like this girl, I mean, this lady is here and she's now, you know, a higher, a higher level and she's mentoring me. Like they can identify with each other more. There's more trust. Um, and they can just move up into the company um, and work into the operations. And it really stimulates the entrepreneurship too, because they are knowing how to run a, a business as well. Um, they'll be able to do the inventory, packaging, shipping, um, marketing, and whenever they are ready and comfortable, maybe sales, you know, they can go to different, because we have um, trade shows, tra trade shows here that we have one here in Midland that um, businesses all over Texas comes and sells their stuff during the holidays. If, you know, if they're willing, then they can be there at the trade show um, doing the sales and having these interpersonal relationship skills and knowing how to sell because um, that's attractive on a resume because um, I don't want to just limit them to just making jewelry because that's very narrow like if they're wanting later on to apply for a job as a receptionist and they're like okay well we made jewelry cool like that doesn't apply for this job well if you have a resume that says that I did marketing and I I was in charge of operations for this and this department. Like that's really very impressive. Um, and that's what I wanna do. I wanna equip them realistically for the real world. And honestly, if, they're, if that sparks entrepreneurship, then that's awesome. They can do that too. And that's what happened to me. Like I worked boutiques um, when I was in high school and also throughout real estate too. I worked real estate and boutiques. Um, and I mirror, and I just looked up at the owner and absorbed everything that they were doing, how to run a business. So if they do the exact same thing and they want to start their own business, that's amazing. But um, we just want the ideal is just to be a stepping stone for them. Um, unlimited may not be a long term thing for them. That's okay, but it's made for the purpose of survivors have little to no education, work experience, and confidence in themselves. Like, and that's kind of what I'm in charge with on their outreach program with that nonprofit. I'm a coordinator for one of their outreach programs and it equips the survivors with job skills and behavior. Like, behavior skills as well. Like you can get a job, but can you maintain the job and form these relationships in the workplace? How to conduct yourself, um, your body language and just different scenarios, um, resumes, what to look for, what are benefits, just different questions to ask, how to have an interview. We equip those survivors with all those skills and then they graduate. So um, ideally, like once they graduate that outreach program that equips them with job skills, well, here's Unlimited. And they can work for Unlimited. Um, it's an option. But yes, I, the plan is to utilize partnerships with 
the nonprofits. And to clarify, yes, there is only two nonprofits here within this region, one in Canada and one the one that I'm working for that helps and houses them for five years. But there is other organizations. I don't want to discredit any other organizations um, throughout the United States that do help on that do help human trafficking survivors, but not at the long time period that we do. It may be a year or two, but not up to five years. So I just wanted to clear that up. But um, yeah, that's the ideal model is for them to come in and just level up into the company and just gain more skills, starting out as an apprentice and then going in, getting hired as a part-time position, full-time, being responsible for creating X amount of jewelry, then marketing, then production, operations of packaging. So there is room to grow. And that is the ideal business model for Unlimited. I'm sure that, and I'm just manifesting this idea, but I can already envision in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, human trafficking survivors being corporate corporate leaders. I can envision these women that you're helping and working with them just by having their perspective changed by learning these tools. I'm sure a lot of these women are going to be empowered and become relentless, just as we were talking before, that they are going to have this innate ability just to climb not only in the professional ladder but just spiritually mentally physically and i think that your your current way your current approach is just very genuine saray because look at all you're doing and you're still in college you're still finding your own path you're still you know enjoying what being a college student is but you are so firm by your current approach and your vision for Unlimited. And I think that how you have combined your formal education preparation with your self-education preparation, I just think that you're very, you're very firm and sure of what you have to do to change the life of the people that you want to impact and how you want to impact. And obviously, most importantly, your why. Because if there's no why, then the how and the what, they're always, they're always crippled. They're, they're a, a table with two legs. They, they can barely stand. Let's say three, but, you know, shake it a little, boom. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're standing on very four solid legs. And I'm just really glad to hear because from my own perspective, I remember when I was in college starting my, my first businesses, like, wow, it was hard because you're still very young, you're still very naive, you have a lot of ideas, you get told, yeah, do the 30-page business plan, this is something we talked in person that I like to emphasize, <laughs> but yeah, do the 30-page business plan, and you're like, okay, it's done, now what? Now you yeah. gotta do what matters, which is build the business, go out there, collaborate, volunteer, network, you know, ask questions, find mentors, I think that is 
really the way that you scale a business and you become consistent. And so, so just to clarify, so your current business model is you, I remember a couple months ago, you were learning the craft of making the jewelry to eventually sell off. So what is your, your current business model? What stage of the business are you at right now? Are you already employing uh, survivors or are they only volunteering with you? You still haven't put them in the process of making the jewelry. What's your, your current business model? So my current business model right now is I haven't employed one yet officially. Um, they are still in that phase two. So they're not ready, the ones that I'm in contact with. Um, but I have been in contact with, you know, had meetings with the nonprofit about our, our partnerships. And they're like, once they have reached phase three, then they'll be able to be working for you um, and learning the craft. So while I, um, I went every weekend to, um, it's called the village and that's where they live. Um, and I would introduce jewelry making skills to them so they can know like the little basics of how to hold the pliers and just to spark the interest and um, kind of like an introduction class in a way. And I did that um, gradually. So I didn't like force it on them, you know, like, oh my gosh, jewelry overload, but gradually just introduce it to them. And um, so I have a few that are very interested that when they were making jewelry, they were really happy and they started making jewelry for, you know, the other girls, like friendship bracelets, because I had, I brought all those tools and the beads so they can have creative freedom with their designs. And it was a beautiful thing seeing them make jewelry for the other girls and having them smile and laugh and being engaged. Um, of course, some weren't that fond of it because it takes patience and it's a little frustrating if you don't get it the first time. So, but there was, I would say a couple that I have, you know, that are interested and they're just, I'm just waiting for them to reach that third phase so we can get that going. Um, but right now, um, right now I'm making the jewelry myself until um, I am able to hire those girls when they're ready. Um, so that's my business plan, right? That's my business model right now. Um, and since I'm making the jewelry myself, I am donating a percent of the proceeds back to the nonprofit just because it's not technically survivor made right now. Um, but once I am able to, to employ them, then it will be 100% survivor made um, jewelry. Um, which gives them an honest living, you know, honest living job. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm really just like counting the days when they get to phase three. But yeah, so that's the, the business model. So now getting a little technical, what is the cost of production of one of your 
jewelry and selling price? Um, well, the cost, it depends because I can, I have gold filled, which is a little bit more because there's more gold into the product and it's a thicker layering. And then I have gold um, plated, which is a very thin layering of gold. So those price, price points are a little bit different. Um, but with production, I would say for a gold filled, it'd be around like $20 for like a bracelet. And I would retail it at 60. Great, great. I think that's a, that's a pretty good price point in terms of how you can manage your leverage, how mm -hmm. you can decrease price, how obviously right now it's you making it, but if you're in the future, you want to employ people, then you got to have a very wide profit margin. Because if you're telling people that this is being made by survivors, it is really being invested back into their development, into their progression outside of, you know, their, their post-trauma. I think uh, I've always told you I'll, I'll buy one as soon as, as soon as you can ship them down to the DR or bring <laughs> or bring one with Sarah because in our inner past years or in our five years with our nonprofit, we have found the value of selling articles that have a purpose behind. And I think that with your business model, um, you're setting yourself up for that because a lot of people they think that, yeah, I'll do this product and then I'll donate some proceeds to charity. No, you first got to be aware how much is going to cost you because you can't say, yeah, I'm going to donate part of the proceeds to charity when you don't, when let's say it costs you $10 and you're selling it for 10. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you got to have some, <laughs> you got to have some fun though, of some formal education basics to understand what it really takes to sell your product and have that social enterprise aspect of it. And again, I think that it would be total, totally revolutionary when you are saying that these products are being, are being handcrafted and well, not handcrafted, you know, they can't handcraft gold, but you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're being worked on by, by human trafficking survivors. And Sorry, one of the uh, last questions, because me being uh, a formal, formal student, a formal college student, having started my business in, in college, what, what for you have been the main challenges of starting your business in college? My main challenges, I would say um, my time management, trying to find time to incorporate my business in my business busy schedule. Because I mean, like college students, we already struggle with, I call it like the triangle of your work, school and family or relationships. Like you have that Trinity. And if you add anything else, like it's hard, you know, like it's hard to balance that Trinity. But I mean, I have, I have to say, me being so involved on campus and off campus, because I am 
in student organizations and um, I started my own organization as well at this university, which takes a little bit more time and just, you know, volunteering, building, building up my credibility and knowledge on my business. So like I volunteered a lot with like, the crisis center and um, being a certified advocate. So if anyone was assaulted, I would go to the hospital and advocate for them at the scene and make sure like the whole process with the police was okay. So I can gain like knowledge about, you know, what they go through because, you know, survivors, they're assaulted. So it goes hand in hand. So um, just getting my credibility with that and, you know, working with the nonprofit, plus building my business and then finding time to do my assignments and spending time with my family. And, you know, you're also in a relationship. It's just, it's a lot of factors. So trying to like, there's not really a, I wouldn't say there's a balance because if you tend to one thing, then the other items or other like factors are being a little like abandoned in a way. So it's like a teeter totter. You tend to one side, but then the other side starts going down. So you have to tend to the other side and make sure everything's you know balanced. I would say that um, trying to keep up with my class assignments, going to class, doing my group projects, still trying to learn about how to start a business and formulating that and still having a social life. Um, I think that was really difficult. And But being on more of a positive note, the positives of starting my business in college is the resources, um, especially my university. There were so many resources for students that wanted to start their own um, business. We have a program and then we have an, a national network called Blackstone that helps students as well as a small business development center here in the city. And they tend to favor um, you know, students and minorities and females, and I check all three boxes. But um, so I would say the struggles is trying to keep up with my social life and school life, plus running, trying to build up a business. Um, but the advantage is, is the opportunities that you have as a student. Um, you have professors. I know you mentioned that you had a professor that was a business owner. I did too. I still do. Um, Peckham, he, he has his own investing firm and he, I tend to him because he's a great mentor on any type of advice for my business. I go to his office and talk about, hey, like this is happening. Like, what do you think? So like, I have that resource with him and I have a lot of support with my university. They published an article about me, which gave me a lot of exposure within the community, which was amazing. I'm very grateful for, you know, the university that I attend to. Um, it has been very supportive of Unlimited. And um, yeah, I would say that. I have goods and negatives. <laughs> Yes, definitely there are, there are its ups and downs, good and bad, 
But I think if you look at everything from a neutral point of view, in terms of how it benefits you and it benefits your business, I think that, or at least how I see it is that you have a, you have a jump start. You have a time that you are putting into your business and your personal development that is going to pay off because it's not the same when you start a business right after graduating than when you start a business during college because even when you graduate, you're still going to have to manage your time. You're going to have to be able to look for resources. You're going to be able or you're going to have to be able to network and put yourself in positions that benefits you and your business. So, yeah, I think that starting your business in college really gives you that that head start. You know, it gives you that time to not only prepare, but also to be aware of what it really takes to mm-hmm. build a brand, to be recognized, not by, not by your GPA, but be recognized by your deeds, by the things you're creating. And also you start building your legacy because your legacy is the people that you impact on your journey and what people say about you when you're not in a room. So when you start building your business and your business, just as you've said today, has such a profound social meaning, I think that you starting in college and you using the resources, being able to connect with with professors like Dr. Peckham that have, are, and I'm sure will mentor you for whenever he can and he's in the capability to, um, I think that you start in the right time frame and more the business that you're trying to create because it's a business that has made you really and it's the main concept of our episode understand that something you're passionate about is not enough to really build upon it you got to have a purpose behind you got to have a very very clear why because when you have a clear why that's when you're able to face adversity that's when you're able to really understand that the path will be foggy when it's sunny it's temporary when it's cloudy it's temporary when it's snowy which you know i don't really get much snow here but <laughs> it will snow and and yeah it's it's just that perspective you got to you got to have on life and in in your formal education or self education and sorry i would really like to thank you because i think this has been very a very nurturing conversation in terms of watching people like you still being in college and not only because I relate to it because I kind of had the same path as you did graduating college but just seeing how there's people like you that are actually trying to solve real, real world problems and they don't see problems bigger than themselves because every problem is bigger than ourselves but we have in our hands and in our spirit the ability to make a difference. And you know, it will take you maybe years to raise the awareness and create the movement necessary around human trafficking survivors, but at least you are content with where you are and you understand that it's a, it's a long life process. So really hearing you, really you know, being able to have you here in this podcast, it's it's a source of motivation for me because it's it's good to hear people like you that 
are going behind a vision that right now doesn't really exist. But you are putting the work, you are putting yourself in situations and really survey again. I would like to thank you. And I really think that what you're doing today is going to scale to ways and things and impact right now you can't really imagine because it's it's really what being an entrepreneur is you're building from the heart but you have both feet on the ground but you know where you want to get and, and what it will take for you to get there so um really wish you the best i know that once you graduate you're going to open up another perspective to your business you're going to have time and you're going to have just more of a clear path ahead and really anything that I can do to help you keep escalating on unlimited and your own personal growth, you can come with me. And um, again, thank you for, for being a part of, of this um, podcast of the Wisdom Addicts podcast from Passion to Purpose. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I, I appreciate you so much for those words. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.